Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey fam, before this new episode of Last Drinks, why not jump online and order yourself some sparkling tea from budsandbeads.com.au. Buds and Beads Sparkling Tea, where every bubble tells a story. And don't forget to use the code LASTDRINKS20. This will give you 20% off your order. You're welcome. It's time for another episode of Last Drinks, a podcast where we have conversations for the sober and the sober curious Hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hey fam, how you going? Yes, it is time for another episode of Last Drinks. I wanted to quickly share something funny. Um, so my kid, my four-year-old Henry, has started calling me Bonjondo, Bonjonde, Bonjonde. And I don't know what it means. It feels like it's either French or Italian. I hope that it means like you're a beautiful being, but I have no idea what it means. And so in context, I'll be like, hey, buddy, um, do you, like, we might, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, let's say we're making cookies or something in the kitchen and I'm like, um, why don't you go and grab your step, go and grab your little bamboo step so that you can get up and help me make cookies. And he'll be like, okay, Bon John Day. <laughs> or I'll give him a compliment and he'll say, thank you, Bon John Day. And I don't know what it means. Um, I hope it's a compliment. Um, I'm sure it is. Anyway, take that one away with you. Put that in your back pocket. Bit of a cute story. Hopefully put a smile on your face. I'll tell you something that put a smile on my face was this message on my Instagram from Anna. Hi, Maz. I just wanted to reach out and say I love your pod and have totally binged the shit out of it. Thanks, Anna. I'm four weeks booze-free today. It's a huge achievement for me. I'd be hanging for one o'clock every afternoon feeling like I needed that relief. And it feels so good to have it out of my mind and not feel guilty. Instantly, I started sleeping better. I'm more patient with the kids and have so much more energy. When you say you've unlocked a superpower, girl, you are so right. My new goal is 100 days, but honestly, just taking drinking off the table is pretty appealing too. Thanks, Maz. Your pot is awesome. Thanks, Anna. You're awesome. I just love hearing from you. That just lights me up. It makes me feel so great. It's why I keep doing this every week. I've mentioned before, it is a passion project. I do this because I love it and it really just ticks a bit of a soul box for me. I love it because it helps people and I know it connects with people and I think it gets people through some dark times and it gets people through to those lighter times and I just love being a part of that. So today I'm chatting to Vari McChinchy. What a great name, McChinchy. Um, she has a pretty cool accent. I'm not going to lie. I was going to do an extra long episode with her just because I love hearing her talk because she's Scottish Australian. She's originally from Glasgow. I'm not going to try and do an accent because that would just highly embarrass myself, which I do not need to do right now. Um, she's a coach, a writer. She's super creative. She's a designer. 
Um, what I love is she works with people around the themes of courage. She has a book called Seeds of Courage, which is a collection of stories, ideas, and snippets of wisdom on how to live a big life through small and gentle acts of courage. And I think that one of the most courageous things you can do is stop drinking, which she has done and I have done, and that is exactly why we sat down to have a chat about it. So enjoy this episode of Last Drinks with Vari McChinchy, and I'll catch you next week. I think the thing that's appealing about podcasting is that it's like a conversation that you would have with somebody that you just met for the first time. And so you cover off the basics, but that's really important because there's not a level of assumed knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, it, there's such a an easier flow to the conversation when it's not, yeah, you've done all this research behind it. So yeah, I love that format. I'm, yeah, I know I for me, that's... There's no like... There's no agenda here. Do you know what I mean? Like this is what this is where I feel like this really evokes a different set of skills in me where that it's just like what are we going to discover about your story that can help somebody else who's on the journey? You know, yeah. and if if you are the person sticking their hand up going, I've got something that I think could be really helpful for somebody else and I'm going to be vulnerable enough to share, then I'm like, well, here's the platform and here's the room. Um, so with that said, Vari, <laughs> can you tell me about your last drink? Yeah, sure. So my last drink was July 2018. Um, so just over five years ago now. And what was really interesting for me at the time was it was just a random Sunday evening. And that's so unlike me in so many ways, because I'm a planner and I like to be organized um, and kind of have things scheduled. And so for me to just decide then without any pre-planning was quite out of character for me. But previous to that, and probably a lifetime previous to that, um, I knew that I didn't have a healthy relationship with alcohol. So I had done the dry Julys, the Feb fasts, you know, um, the kind of quick sprint around the block as I like to to kind of um, frame it and gone alcohol free for the month. And, and it was really easy. I'm quite competitive by nature. And so I'm like, yeah, I can do this. This is easy. Um, but this felt different and it felt like I wanted to take a more extended period off of drinking without there being a finish line for me to work towards. Um, so, yeah, it was just a, a random Sunday evening. I poured myself a glass of wine um, and I sat down on the couch and I just decided, no, I didn't want to have it, which was so unlike me. <laughs> I kind of didn't recognize myself in that moment and um, poured it down the sink, poured the rest of the bottle down the sink. And that was it for me. That was the last drink that I had. So it was completely without any kind of fanfare or any any drama attached to it. Um, but there was just this knowing at the time that it felt really significant, more so than it had in the past where, you know, I would tell everyone that I was going to be, you know, off the drink for the month. Um, this just was like a quiet kind of conversation with myself that I didn't even realize I was about to have. So, yeah, it was underwhelming in the most beautiful and special way. And powerful too, I think, to internalise those conversations sometimes is a really different thing than to tell everybody what you're doing. Mm. So when you were doing your fast and, you, you, you know, your months off and I did all of that too, 
Did you find any, you know, when you would come to the end of the month, did you feel like you went into overdrive the following month? Like it almost was a counterproductive situation. Absolutely. I found that I could easily do the month off. And again, I would tell every person that wanted to listen or not want to listen that I was off alcohol for the month. Um, And then I would get back into it with the idea that I would be more intentional about my drinking. Um, And I would pull back a little bit. And that would probably last for a week or two. And then a month after that month off, I would find that it was probably more of a kind of tenacious habit than it had been before I'd taken the month off. So it was definitely a bit of a time lag from the month off to then kind of ramping back up again to my usual level, but it felt like it went a step beyond that each time. So yeah, it definitely had that kind of counter um, result that that we're all hoping for when we take those months off. It was a reset in some ways, but the patterns and the habits were still there. Um, and it's almost like my kind of brain and my body just needed to recalibrate back to what it knew and what it felt familiar with, which was not a healthy situation, you know, um, and one that, that I didn't want to to continue with. It's something that I come across a lot in these conversations of, you know, dabbling with a month off here and then it not quote unquote working. And I think that is really because it's rarely about the alcohol and it's more about self and awareness. And so if you're just taking a month off booze with the focus on being just simply the fact that you're not drinking and that's all you hone in on is like, I'm not drinking, I'm abstaining from alcohol, I'm not going to have alcohol you really miss the point of the work you can accomplish when you don't have alcohol in your system, which is that next layer and that deeper level, which I think you landed on in July. Yeah, absolutely. And what I realized was I could take the month off alcohol, but I would find other ways to distract myself from the things that were really looking for my attention so and and it's one of those sneaky little things that I've seen with a lot of people who take a month off alcohol because they're not drinking so they're eating really well they're exercising they're running every day but I found for myself that I would take those months off alcohol and I would run every single day and so that was my way of distracting myself where alcohol was a distraction before I would become hyper focused and obsessed with something that seems very virtuous and well-meaning like exercise or work Um, but it was just another form of distraction to kind of stop me from looking at some of those deeper things that alcohol had me skating around the surface of but those other things just replaced alcohol so yeah you're so right there's that underlying thing that we actually need to look at and um alcohol acts as a really great distraction for that for a really long time for for a really long time so can you paint me a picture because I love hearing about where people are up to in sort of the you know the grand scheme of things when they have this uh, and I love that yours was so non-dramatic and like not, it was just like, I'm just going to tip that wine down the sink and, and the bottle, you know, where were you up to paint me a picture about what your work life relationship situation was going on for you? Because I want to try and I'm going to try and pinpoint and like, I'm not a psychologist, but I love psychology of like, why that time was different, like why July 2018 was different to all of the other months off. So what what Mm. was a sort of weekly snapshot? Mm. And I love that you asked this, Maz, because it was so 
different at that time to how it had been before for everything that had come in the years leading up to that. So at that time, um, I was 36. I was just turning 35, actually. It was um, two weeks before my 35th birthday. Um, And I had separated from my ex-husband. I was co-parenting my two sons with my ex-husband. I was in a new relationship. Um, And so it was a time of freedom and independence for me that I had never really felt like I'd had as a woman. I met my ex-husband when I was just 19 years old, um, got married really young, had my kids really young. And so I could see that I was clearly living out those 20 something years in my mid thirties. Um, so it was really interesting because I would have a couple of days off from having my kids in the middle of the week. And that would be when I'd go to the city and stay with my partner and we would go out and have some drinks and go for dinner. Um, And so that was almost like my weekend would be in the middle of the week and then it would get to the weekend and sometimes I would have my sons and sometimes I wouldn't, but there would always be alcohol there. You know, we might be at a friend's house for dinner and there would be some drinks or people would be at our house and there would be drinks. So it kind of felt like this rolling weekend all of the time. Like there was a weekend in the middle of the week and then there was the weekend. Um, So it just felt like this kind of never ending cycle for me. Um, And it was really interesting because at that time, my sons at the time were six and nine. And I think I became more and more aware of the fact that 50% of the time I was a sole responsible adult for my children. And if something were to happen to them when they were at home with me, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to take them to the hospital in the middle of the night if that had to happen, you know, because I was what I often call an accidental daily drinker. I was drinking every day. I would say I wouldn't drink. Dinner time would roll around. I'd find myself with a glass of wine in my hand. Um, And I started to realize that I didn't want to be that parent. I didn't want to not be able to be there for my my mm-hmm. sons if they needed me in the middle of the night. And there wasn't the guarantee of that other responsible adult in the house to kind of like, pick up the slack if I wasn't able to do it. So I think at that point, as they were getting older and more so now, you know, they're 14 and 11 now. And I want to be able to be that mother when my 14 year old calls me and says, I'm at this party. I need to get out. Can you come and get me that I can at the drop of a hat, just pick my car keys up and go get them. And that feels in, in and of itself, like a good enough reason to not drink again. I mean, there's a million other reasons but for me being able to be that mother especially as a co-parent where there isn't necessarily um, another adult in the house to help was really important for me so I think that's what made the difference at that time Mm. is looking further down the track of not just who do I want to be as a woman but who do I want to be as a mother and and what example do I want to set for my children um, around alcohol because alcohol had been this ever-present thing in my life I grew up in Glasgow with a you know Irish Scottish family, alcohol was just this ever present thing in our mm. in our lives. Um, and so for me, I really wanted to kind of break that cycle for my sons and and show them an example of being able to live a fun and creative and fulfilling and exciting and rich life. That alcohol didn't have to play a part in that. So um, yeah, being an example to them was a real motivator for me as well. So first of all, your boys are super lucky that you Thank just you. stepped up and put on your mum pants and went you know what I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this without a glass of wine in my hand because 
look, I have a four-year-old son and parenting's hard, man. Like, Mm. you know, and just because I'm sorry, but it doesn't mean that my child is not completely unreasonable and absolutely bonkers off the wall insane most days. I just feel that because I'm sober, I have a slightly bigger capacity to be able to use some other tools to try and negotiate with a four-year-old, which is really hard. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> so well done. And, the, you know, as you were explaining that season of your life and the contemplation of not just future self but, like, future mum to these two boys who they're only ever going to call you mum, the word that come that came to my mind was freedom because I feel like I think you only get this on the other side of having your last drink that I think we drink to escape and we think that that's freedom. So it's like I'm going to escape my responsibilities. It's a weekend. I have two weekends a week, you know, that you can live in escapism from the daily grind, the rat race, the the responsibilities that we have because they can be overbearing but what actually happens when you when you give up alcohol is you gain complete freedom because you now have the freedom to decide whether or not you're getting in the car to go and get your son out of a crap situation or or what or you have the freedom to go down to the supermarket and get yourself a tub of ice cream if it's been a bad day and you feel like having ice cream. You've got so many more options, which is essentially freedom. And alcohol robs you of all of those options. Alcohol entraps you and it keeps you so stuck. And then we don't know how to get unstuck. And so that was kind of what I felt you have experienced like you've really you've you've tapped into this level of freedom that as an adult and a parent you don't get unless you decide to not drink alcohol that's Mm. my assessment yeah absolutely and my three values and in our family are freedom joy and peace and they're like guiding lights and and within the context of alcohol there's more of all three of those things in a life without alcohol and you're so right it's it's such an entrapment to um have that tethering to alcohol um and it's a pretty unfulfilling and uncreative life is what I realized yeah I was terrified to give up drinking and become that boring sober person like mm-hmm. no one in my life would ever have said that I would be the sober person including me like it did not seem like a fun time for me at all you know the 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 prospect of not drinking ever um Mm. but I realized that life is pretty boring with alcohol because it's just you know it's maybe a slightly different setting you might be at a beautiful winery or a lovely pub or a lovely restaurant but you're doing the same thing over and over again so I realized that life became so much more creative and joyful without alcohol and much more of that kid-like energy you know, um, there was so much more variety and texture to life. Um, and, you know, being able to go out and do fun things with my boys, um, just, yeah, it, it it felt like so much more vitality had been like injected into my life by just removing this one thing, um, which, yeah, was just amazing to discover. And I would watch my boys, you know, we lived down on the Mornington Peninsula by the beach and I would watch them in the summer and And, you know, we have this association with like, you know, summer and rosy or summer and, you know, a cold beer on the beach or whatever it might be. And 
and I would watch my boys playing on the beach and alcohol was playing no part in their experience and they were having those beautiful, present, fun time. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I want some more of that. I want to be able to enjoy that kind of more sustainable, longer term joy rather than these quick fixes in the moment that only leads to the, you know, the, the quick decline afterwards. And so having more of that stability of my energy was something that felt really attractive to me rather than this roller coaster of the highs and lows that inevitably mm-hmm. comes with alcohol that we try and flatten that curve you know with with so many different things whether it's you know with with food or with exercise or with work um but being able to just remove alcohol like everything just settled down and the pace of life just became so much richer and sweeter so um yeah, these were things I didn't expect. You know, I expected the usual benefits of getting better sleep and feeling more mm-hmm. focused and, you know, the materialistic things like having better skin and losing some weight and all of those things. But mm-hmm. yes, those things happen. But the other things like just the slowing down of time and being more present and more of those natural, sustainable um, highs of life were just this real sweet gift mm-hmm. that I hadn't really expected to be as fulfilling and and as joy given as they actually were we'll get back to the conversation in just a sec this podcast is proudly brought to you by buds and beads sparkling tea the perfect blend of refreshment and sophistication elevate your moments with exquisite tea infused with natural botanicals sip sparkle and savour the flavour for true indulgence. Buds and Beads Sparkling Tea, where every bubble tells a story. Cheers to a sip above the rest. And now, back to the conversation. You mentioned something before that I just want to just get your thoughts on about you didn't want to become that sober, boring person. And I really... I didn't either and I I hear it a lot of people who reach out and they're like I really want to give up alcohol but I don't want to become boring and I'm still trying to formulate and curate like the best response to to help not to entice people into sobriety but to articulate that that is just absolute bullshit (laughs) and I completely agree yep I don't know where we got that from like where in what society have we been brought up in where the sober person is the boring person because I was so afraid of that too and what I found was I'm more expressive creative productive fun probably more highly embarrassing for my small child and I'm like I'm so free and I'm so me and I wasn't those things when I was drinking. And so, and you, it sounds like you felt a bit the same and you've discovered the same thing. Any thoughts on where mm. that seed has been planted and what, and it is just grown into this myth that we, it was a, a belief so strong that it will stop us from taking our last drink because we're mm. like, oh, don't want to be boring. Absolutely. And I think that, I'm not quite sure where it started, but I think here's my take on it, that it's become this collective agreed upon thing that sobriety equals boring Mm. 
because people don't want to face the potential that they may have to reassess the relationship with alcohol. And so I found that in a lot of my friendships that I had, because I was first at the bar, last at the bar, like that was my reputation. Um, And so a lot of the friendships that I'd cultivated as that version of me didn't last the transition into me being someone who just didn't drink. And I was prepared for that and knew that that would most likely be the case. But what was really interesting was a few people would really challenge me on why I felt I needed to stop drinking. And whether it was my birthday or their birthday, or we were out for a girl's night or whatever it may be, this encouragement of, well, you'll have just one tonight, right? And what I realized was that me not drinking was such a mirror to their own relationship with alcohol. And I know that most people who have stopped drinking have found this to be the case in one form or another. So I think if we believe that sobriety equals a boring life, then we're all just going to kind of enable each other to continue to drink. Because if we all agree upon that, no one wants to be boring. So we'll all just pretend like it's not happening. It's that kind of elephant in the room, yeah. I think. So it, it is a real disruptor when you stop drinking and you become more fun because it kind of like, you know, throws a cat among the pigeons with that theory of sobriety equals a boring life. And so a lot of people don't want to consider it. They don't want to consider that life could be more, but it's going to cost them this identity they have around alcohol, um, which is completely fine, right? Everyone you know has their own choice of whether they want to drink or not drink. But I found that it was really interesting that people who were uncomfortable with my decision to stop drinking and what they potentially thought that I thought about their drinking if they drank more than me. And I was choosing to stop. What did that say about their relationship with alcohol? So yeah, I think it's a bit of a a defense mechanism for us all to kind of, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, so to to speak, you know, where if we all just agree upon this thing that um, alcohol is fun and sophisticated and it's what adults do then um we can all just continue to do that and not have to face the harder questions or that those things that need to be looked at that sit just underneath the filter of alcohol and it is funny too because I definitely know when I when I stopped drinking at first I'd be in social situations and I would feel really uncomfortable I would I didn't know what to do with my hands I ate a lot of cheese I just I was just like I don't know how to exist in this space because everyone else is just drinking gin and tonics and I'm here with my tall glass with some water and some lime and I'm really hungry. And it took me a while to really, I think, assess the room. And what I had stumbled on pretty early on was like, actually, you guys are really boring. Absolutely right. (laughs) You're boring me. Like this I've heard this story three times and you're just slurring a little bit more this time and I'm tired, the sun's going down, I don't want to do shots of tequila. This is so boring. Mm. I'm getting up early for a walk. I'm out. And it it took months and months to really accept the reality of, okay, now these environments are boring to me because I'm not included in the cluster. I'm not mm-hmm. on anyone's level. I'm not necessarily above or below. I'm just on a different page. And so I do think you lean into and you find people and things that sub- support your sobriety 
Yeah, absolutely. And I feel the yeah. same, like living on the Mornington Peninsula, like there's just so much yeah, winery central Certainly. down here. And it's beautiful. Like, you know, the landscape's mm. beautiful. Like I love to go to these wineries and have food and, yeah. and have, you know, a beautiful time with my friends and with my family. But I feel really lucky that I can be in those environments and not feel triggered and not feel um mm. that I can't trust myself, you know. And that was a really big thing for me. I didn't want to be someone who had this ironclad willpower that could resist alcohol I wanted to be someone who just didn't have to consider it there was no none of this like self-negotiation of like I can't be in this environment I can't be around people who are drinking um I love the environment of the pub growing up in the UK you know it's a big part of our of our kind of culture and lifestyle and I I love how inclusive it can be for so many people um Mm. And so I love that I can still do that. But it was really interesting. And I know you've spoken about this before, Maz, that idea of when you go to the bar and you're newly sober and you're like apologizing for not drinking alcohol. And I found that in myself. Like I would find, I would say, I'll just have a soda and lime. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, stop saying just. Like stop apologizing to the bartender for not putting alcohol in your glass. Like Mm-hmm. They don't care. Like, it doesn't make a difference to them. But I felt this, like, apologetic undertone to everything I would say um, and justifying why I wasn't drinking um, and filled in the numerous questions from people of, are you pregnant? Which I'm sure every woman, you know, yes. <laughs> in her 20s, 30s, 40s gets when it comes to uh, choosing not to drink. And it was funny because I just didn't push against that one. I just was like, well, time will tell you know a year down the line when there's no baby like that that will work itself out (laughs) yeah and I think too it's like those those moments are really tricky and again it's like a real deterrent for people because they're like oh what am I going to tell people what are they going to think are they going to assume that I was out of control chaotic um yeah and they might but you can't control that. Like, Mm. you know, having your last drink is a lot about letting go of people pleasing and letting go of perception. Like it actually doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. They're going to think what they think. What matters is that you're living your truth, your best life, and you're doing what feels and fits right for you. Mm. And, And, but that is, like I'm saying that so off the cuff and like I'm a freaking pro. That is something that I still struggle with 100%. And I think this is why some people go so hard into sobriety because we need identity. So if you've identified as that girl at the bar who's the first to arrive and the last to leave and do it, you know, all the carry on, sobriety can quickly become the replacement identity. Like, well, now I'm just a sober person and here are all the, re-, you know, and yes. it's, you know, I I don't necessarily think that's a negative thing. I haven't really unpacked it, but I think some people are like, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to stop drinking because then I'm going to have to like write a book and start a podcast and have a sobriety community and, and convert all of these other people. Like it's Scientology. It's not, it's, and I, I just want to take the pressure off. Like there's enough podcasts and if that's what you want to do because it ticks a box for you which is why I do this it's so selfish this it's this helps me and I love asking questions like it ticks so many boxes for me personally um but you don't have to go and do all of those things you just have to not drink alcohol if that's going to be your best choice for your best life and keep it simple 
Mm, totally. And I think that transference from being the identity of, you know, the the happy, you know, party bar girl to now being this sobriety evangelist that's trying to mm. convert everyone. Like it's really easy because it's another big identity. Um, yeah. And so to just have it be a thing that's pretty neutral um, can be tricky to navigate that, yeah. to not just like transfer it over to, to somewhere else. But I found for me when I say to people, and I don't even use the term sober or sobriety. I use it in some instances where people it's just, easier for people to kind of understand but for Mm -hmm. me I don't identify with necessarily being sober or being in recovery like neither of those terms really resonate with me I just choose to not have alcohol in my life or choose to live alcohol free Mm -hmm. and the idea of recovery for me I never felt like I was an alcoholic to the point of there being this like dependency there was no epic rock bottom that I'd hit that I had to come back from um I hadn't you know lost my license lost my job lost my kids any of that stuff which made me feel like a bit of a fraud I have to say like in those early days um Mm. I was reading these like sobriety memoirs which you know is a step for a hint if you if you're wondering if you should stop drinking alcohol um and I would read these stories of these like amazing women who had these like massive epic rock bottoms and had come back from it and and I thought well who am I to give up alcohol like my life is nowhere near as tragic as these women and I think that's what stops a lot of women especially um from making that choice because they don't feel like it's the only option out and and that's usually the thing that I talk to people most about when they're curious about not drinking um me being able to say I wasn't an alcoholic I I genuinely didn't have a dependency on it I could stop my life was good by many standards but I knew that this was something that could potentially get out of hand and take me to that place a little further down the track Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to make a different choice but it can be really hard to make that different choice when there aren't so many things at stake at that moment um you know we really have to back ourselves and have the courage to do something that is going to feel awkward we're going to feel like Bambi trying to get our legs again you know and Mm -hmm. and um especially in those social situations but I think that's the thing. Like, we don't have to have these epic rock bottoms to make a different choice around alcohol and and how much of a part of our life we want it to be. I love it. Well said. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, you're so welcome. It's been so lovely to chat. I could chat to you for hours, mainly because of your accent and you're really <laughs> smart. I like talking to smart people. Same. I would happily chat to you all day, Maz. So let's do this again. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Make sure you click follow so you don't miss an episode. New episodes are published every Monday. You can follow us on TikTok at Last Drinks or catch up with me on Instagram at Maz Compton. Stay curious. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.